Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Hey, today on our show, we are going to be talking about prayer and some of the nuances of prayer, some of the reasons prayer is hard for us, and we're also going to solve once and for all the sovereignty of God and the free will of man question. I'm lying, but we are going to talk about it, so why don't you tune in? Hey, look at us. We are live. decapitated, but we're live. What is going on with the camera? How can... Who else uses this? How can the camera move? It's my own fault. I used it. Oh. Yeah, we filmed like a little missionary video. Huh. In the Red Couch Theology Podcast room. Yes. Wow. There we go. It is what it is. It is what it is. Welcome to the Red Couch Theology Yes, (laughs) where Alex has to ramble for a few minutes because I'm going to go fix the camera. (laughs) Yes, where we uh, gather and we talk about... Cow- theology on red couches um and so I sit on the red couch. they can't hear you even with your loud voice i bet they can <laughs> i just sound like a distant belligerent man yeah absolutely uh and so we are here to talk about theology uh we specifically are we're in a series on the lord's prayer and so this week we'll be talking about how jesus called to prayer how his rhythm of like do not do this and do this, how it works in the subject of prayer. Um, and so we'll yeah. get to that shortly. Yeah, uh, but you want to ramble for a while, because I found out if I dive in too soon... Oh, and we got a comment this week. Yeah, that we should keep rambling. They want us to ramble. Yeah, well, this person does. Like, no, all th- anecdotes this person evidence. represents, they are the uh, federal head. A hundred percent. For a theological term, they are the federal head for all of our audience. A hundred percent of the responses requested rambling as a permanent part of the show. Yep. Um, yep. That's true. Yeah. A hundred percent of this week's comments <laughs> yeah. requested that. So, uh, so in an effort to ramble well, I was at, I went skiing yesterday and I realized, like, it's for my first day out this year, and I realized... Really? Yeah, not been at all. That's depressing. It really is, right? Yeah, for a guy that owns a, a pass. Um, oh, <laughs> and then I went... For with, a guy who's massively losing money on his investment. Yeah, especially because I'm, I went with a guy who has the other pass, the Icon Pass, oh. and he very kindly said, well, I, I'm going to pay for you to go where I go. So I still didn't use my pass. <laughs> it just oh, sat in my man. pocket. Um, but I, it, it was, it's, I always find the first season of the first day of the season very humbling. Yeah. It's the moment where I'm reminded that I'm not a good skier um, by my definition of good skiing. So it's one of those things where like I'll ski with my kids and they're like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. Because I can ski like a green run backwards or something like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have no idea how how not good I am in comparison to other people. Yeah. There's this famous run at where we were at Winter Park. Does this mean the person you went skiing with is a really good skier? Yeah. Okay. Kind of irritatingly good at times. He does that oh. whole telemark thing. And I have this feeling that, uh, oh, he's a telemark mm-hmm. skier. And he just ripped it. Although he wiped out big, it was hilarious. I had this moment. Like, there you yes. go. But he, he, he he's definitely much better than me. And we went down this run called Trestle, which is super famous. It's okay. this, 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 uh, which resort is at uh, Winter Park? Okay. It's like this old downhill run that now is just full of these huge moguls, like massive moguls. And there's this one point where it's just ridiculous. So for the first time I can re- ever remember in my life, I went down the easy way. 
I just, I just, I, I don't think I've ever done that. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna take this little loop it's around. Like you and turned come back. forty and you got a pass to just pick the yeah, easy. Yeah, I just, and I was okay with it. I, I was actually surprised. How are you though? Because you're talking about it on the Red Couch Theology uh, podcast. True, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> I was just quite surprised how emotionally healthy I felt in that moment. Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, so proud of you. Um, yeah. I saw death. I looked death in the face and said, no, thank you. <laughs> For the first time in your life. <laughs> wow. Okay. So prior to uh, yesterday, Alice had a death wish. Yeah, um, yeah potentially. But <laughs> it was just good to get out and see the mountains and to feel the, yeah, the mountain air. Yeah. I'm I'm curious if uh, this particular individual, if we're going to run into those sorts of situations all the time where he's like, man, why is he good at that too? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nobody should be good at everything. Yeah. That's funny. Absolutely. Uh, so well, are we allowed to go into things yeah. now? Yeah. Because we've got a lot to talk about and you are preaching this week. So I feel like we will probably step on some shoes that you might walk in this week. Today? Yeah. We're going to step in shoes? Just, yeah, we might just... Uh, yeah. Maybe. Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so where are we beginning? Oh, I had a great question before we did our meandering thing. Uh-huh. And now I've got to remember what it was. Yeah? Uh, uh, I don't remember. Okay. You talked... So give me, give me the summary of where did you go on Sunday. So we've been in this section in Chapter 6. Yeah. It sort of falls under this umbrella verse in... Chapter 6, verse 1, which says, don't practice your righteousness before other people. It could broadly be be called the intentions series, I think. Like, I think intentions is a good word for it. Like it's, what's, what's your motivation behind yeah, this? Yeah, why? What is the why? What are you hoping to get out of it? Yeah. Now, now so, so Jesus picks three spiritual disciplines to talk about. Giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. All three things... Or sort of illustrations yeah. of this, like having the right motivation. Yeah, all three disciplines that do have the potential to be seen by others, to have like an optic. Yeah. Um, and so he gives these like descriptions of how it's done badly. After giving like the umbrella of don't practice them to be seen by others. Then he takes each one and says, this is how you might do this one to be... Um, you know, so, so, so the first one is given to the needy and he almost creates this picture of a guy like pulling out a huge wad of cash and like almost lifting it into the air, fist raised before putting it into a, a plate to give to someone. Yeah. Um, it's all over the top. He, he gives this picture of a Pharisee in the week we're in this week, like standing up on the corner of the temple and like yelling out his prayer in this like. You know, big flowing robes, all these different things. And then with fasting in a couple of weeks, he'll give this like picture of a guy who like walks in with, with like a mournful expression on his face. Like, oh, don't, don't worry about me. I'm just fasting again today. It's like all of this, like, hmm. it's almost like caricature comic book descriptions. Yeah. Um, and then he gives the other idea of like, well, this is a good way to do it. But actually you didn't spend a ton of time no, on I, that. No, I really didn't. So you and- kind of... And fair, so explain that. Yeah. So here, here's what I mean. The text itself gives this example of this over-the-top prayer who's uh-huh. on the street corner shouting out this prayer to try and look spiritual. Yeah. And you basically didn't, you didn't spend a whole lot of time on that in the sermon. Instead, you mm-hmm. shifted to another nuance that's in the text. So describe that. So I, I anytime you give a sermon... You are, I think, trying to say, uh, you're trying to say, what does the text in front of me say? 
you know, we've talked about this before. It's got original context yep. aspects to it, linguistic aspects to it. You want to know <laughs> what the nuance of the words is, even though that's more complex than any of us would like to own. And we found that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Yeah, our, our Christmas homework assignment. You yeah. Did. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Go like, do that. Like, one, does it even mean perfect? Mm, maybe complete is a better term and uh, or, or mature is a better term. But then also Luke takes the same passage and he uses a word that means compassionate, which means that whatever Jesus said in Aramaic made one writer think I'm going to say perfect or complete or mature and another writer think I'm going to write compassionate, which are not the same thing necessarily at all. Yeah. Like, so that, there's always like a huge complexity to that linguistic aspect. So, but you're trying to, what does it say in the culture, the context, what are the linguistics behind it? And then also like, well, what's the power of the text for people today? What, like maybe on a minor level, what problem does it solve for people? What question does it raise for people? What, what area of life does it mm-hmm. speak into now? So as I was going through this, I was like, if I think about South, and I, you know, I could be wrong about this. Do I think there's people at South that wrestle with praying to get attention? Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. Do I think that's most of the people listening on Sunday morning? Not really. I I mean, not not from the crowd of people. I we don't do a lot of public prayer. Most of the invite to do that is in smaller groups. Yeah. Um if anything, I think most of those people would struggle not because they want to impress people in a negative sense, but they're actually just self-conscious. And actually we'll talk about that when we talk about fasting, like how you find yeah. this space to not do it self-consciously and how you almost embrace the fact that you'll feel like that for a little while. Um, but I actually started to think through, no, I think, I think actually most people have got to a point where they would say prayer is not a ritual to perform. That's Jesus. Like, don't do this. Don't Mm -hmm. treat it like that. He says, no, it's a relationship to pursue with your father who knows what you need. It's still crazy hard and I still don't do it. Like, I think that's where more people are. Like, yeah. <laughs> like even knowing what Jesus says, I still don't get prayer and find. So, so to me, that suggests that there's other things that block us praying other than our intentions. Yeah. And, and I, I almost, it was one of those, and I don't, I don't know if you feel like this about, or about preaching, which you do fairly often now, or, or worship leading, which you do much more often it was one of those ones where I'd been traveling all weekend. I'd been away on a retreat with the elders. I got mm-hmm. back Saturday afternoon, still feeling like there were a lot of blanks to to fill in. Yeah. And kind of feeling like I'd landed the plane on these distinctions between like there were people that treated prayer like a show. Although I'm not sure I even used the word show in the end. I wished I had. Yeah. Um, and, and people that use prayer uh, and then people that don't pray because of shame as i actually went for a walk afterwards i walked my dog afterwards and i started just reflecting back i thought actually there's a whole other bunch of things that i think might stop people praying outside of those and i could quite easily have given some kind of list yeah because i think sin stops people praying yeah like actually just like a, a a life that's out of sync with how god would have us to live that 
tends to put you in a place where, if you're honest, even thinking about praying feels a little bit. Yeah, which is a close relative to the shame subject yeah. that you covered, because usually if you've struggled with sin and you know it, uh-huh. then you feel the sense of shame. You're like, I don't even want to go talk to God because I feel ashamed. Mm. And so, so in one sense, by by inference, you covered it. But I, I, so I, I think shame is the fascinating thing to for me with shame is that sin can cause shame, but shame is also bigger than just sin. And, and even after repenting from sin, you can still feel shame. You can't repent from feeling shame. I don't think in, in the terms of apologize for it, it doesn't, it doesn't Mm. deal with it. It doesn't, it doesn't clear the air. It it just stays. It's like that malignant. Yeah. So I, I do, I do think, Yes, sin can cause shame, but I also think there's a whole category of even for stuff that's been dealt with, apologized for, turned away from, restitution has been made, all of those different things. I think you can still feel shame. Shame shame is present in the marriage of someone who's committed adultery and the the husband or wife has said, no, I'm going to forgive you. We're going to get through this together. Yeah. Um, And there's still shame. Which... I think it's because there is no such thing as restitution apart from the cross. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter how, like, you say this is like, the insidiousness of sin. Uh-huh. It's that, it's it's far worse than we think it is. Yes. And so when we sense that, like, we say, okay, I, I made restitution. I said sorry. I may have even paid them back in some mm-hmm. way. I took steps to try and restore uh-huh they gave me forgiveness it's still not far enough like and we we may think verbally if you could even describe all the steps you took to create restitution for sin and as, uh, all other humans would look at you and say oh yeah that sounds about right that sounds like it weighed the scales correctly mm-hmm. um but because we're human we're also giving them a pass that we really want to get and subconsciously i think written down into the deep recesses of what it means to be human and that we weren't designed to be Uh creatures within a sinful world there's sin is bigger and more vast and more terrifying and more hideous than we possibly can imagine yes it you may have done all these steps but you've permanently damaged someone's psyche Uh and that's why and it just and then they take their pain and they spilled it to someone else. So your sin now is affected two people. Uh-huh. And so, and it just starts to spill. It's like, and because anyway. of that, the, when we get to the Lord's prayer in a few weeks in the passages on forgiveness and, and yeah. in the past, I think we've walked through some of those passages alongside like G- Jesus, um, Jesus parable of the unmerciful servant. You know the one who yeah. you know he, he wants his debt forgiven, doesn't want to forget forgive another debt. The language of that parable is you can live by the book system of like keeping a record and having the restitution process, or you cannot live by it. You can't pick when you live by it and when you don't live by it. So, so, and the reason that Jesus seems to say, choose not to live by the books mm-hmm. is because he knows that you can never balance those books. They never look equal. They certainly never look equal in terms of what God has forgiven you. Yeah. They might potentially look equal 
on the surface layer but if you soon peel pack the surface you realize it's just yeah yeah and and that's why that's why when you ask people in ireland like and it's calmed down a lot now but ireland ireland okay country ireland ireland you know yeah yeah no bother i just thought you said i on an island or something if you live on an island uh, <laughs> okay, if you ask people in Ireland, in, in Northern Ireland, I'm sorry, or, I'm here to Ireland. translate our pastor yeah. to you. So, <laughs> if you if you go to the country of the Republic of Ireland, uh, and uh, you talk to people there and say, hey, yeah, as I say, it's calmed down a lot now, but it was when I was a kid, it was like it was nuts. And you ask people why they're fighting, they'll point you back to the 17th century, like oh, William Ar- William of Orange. It's all that stuff. Like these people have been trying to balance the books for like for, for centuries. It's like, oh, this next bomb will make it fair, but not to the other side who are like, no, the next bomb will make it fair. And it never balances. You can work your whole life to make those systems balance and they never do. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right outside of the cross and you sound like a man who's been reading Fleming Rutledge recently. Huh. Uh, <laughs> just this morning, man, it's such a great chapter. I was just like, Oh wow. Like, Bizarrely. I was listening to an interview with her talking about that book from like 10 years ago. Yeah. Last night. It's so um, good. It's heavy. Yeah. It's dense, but it's good. Did you know she was still alive? I thought she died ages ago. Is she? Yeah. It made me want to go find her. I want, I want to go like, I know. Go. she's 87. She just stopped consistently communicating. Yeah, and she actually, but she actually was saying in this interview, she was trying to remember someone's name who had actually really helped her with her first book. And she said, oh, "Sorry, I'm I just that's been eighty for you." I just like it. It was so because she's got this deep southern accent. It I threw know. me. I did not expect it at all. It was the first time I'd heard her speak. I know, like you read her writing, and you just like I don't know what you picture because she's so, classic northeast intellect. Well, she's think, brilliant. Yeah, and. But also, really down to earth in her writing, yeah, yeah. she brings in a ton of story. Yeah, even in her deep, deep, deep theological. Do you know what her work, first book was called? Uh. Uh-uh. Her first book was called "The Bible and the New York Times," which is interesting because she quotes a lot of magazines. Uh huh. And she said she that she was talking about, and and the half our listeners are like, "Who's this person? You need to read Fleming Rutledge. She is a genius." Like yeah, you can turn star. this off and just go find a Fleming Rutledge yeah. audiobook, and we would be delighted. Yeah, um, Fleming Rutledge and Tim Mackey, come on here. <laughs> now, if we could get Tim Mackey, that would be fun. If we could get Fleming Rutledge, oh, yeah, that's just like another. If we could world. get them both in the same place, then we might open a wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> but be. she, 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 yeah, she, um, uh, she said like. I would credit this guy's suggestion that I call it the Bible and the New York Times with me ever being discovered as a writer. Like she said, it was just such a good title and captured so much interest. She said, I would tried to get traction with stuff I was writing for years before. Nothing quite got there. And then this thing just went like boom. And yeah, from that moment on, she was writing pretty consistently. Um, the fun so, part is I have no idea where we got to this. Subject. Because I was saying you know, <laughs> where you're so, so right about only the cross can, can deal with shame and the balancing of the books. Paul talks about this. He talks about, you know, the, the cross wipes out the list of indictments that are against us. The picture it gives is like, 
you know, a dry erase board of like, it's not so much that they, there's this piece that they're paid for, but also this piece that they just don't exist anymore. So it's not exactly the same as your sins are forgiven check mark as it is, yes, your sins are forgiven check mark. And oh, by the way, there's no record they ever happened anymore. That's how complete it is in Paul's understanding, I would suggest. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think she would make the case that you need multiple ways of looking at the cross yes. to actually appreciate the, the gravity of what took place there. Yeah. Um, and that's one of them. Uh-huh. That's one illustration. It's essentially, it's the cross is such a broad and beautiful reality that you need like a dozen different metaphors and illustrations and modes to talk about it, which in the theological thing is like atonement. That's the term. You need multiple theories of atonement mm-hmm. in order to yeah. handle the breadth and width. Well, and it's, and you see that with so many things in scripture, it's you know, there in the way that, that Paul will say, he'll use legal terms and say, God is like a judge. He's not saying God is a judge. He's saying in this way, he's functioning like a judge. If the only picture you have is God equals judge, you'll have a warped perspective of who God is. Yeah. So every, all sorts of things. And, and of course, God is the ultimate picture of that, that he's never understandable. He is the diamond with the millions of facets to it that can't ever be quite grasped completely. And that's why eternity makes sense, because you can spend eternity getting to know a God who is infinite and unknowable. And yeah. So so coming back to your message, mm-hmm. you felt like as you were reading this, that one of the barriers to prayer is this shame mm-hmm. yeah. reality. And that, you know, all the things we were just talking about, whether it's conscious shame or subconscious yeah. shame, there is there seems like for many of us, and maybe it's just you and I, Alex, <laughs> there seems like sometimes there's a fear or a doubt or a questioning that I, I shouldn't I don't even have the right to enter into yeah. the space of prayer. And your challenge to the to to people was to say, no, that's a false barrier. That barrier is in your soul and not in God. So what what I think I wished I'd been able to convey better on Sunday because this was a revelatory moment to me and I did say it, but it was one of the things I wished I'd lingered on more to make sure people got it is that where we have this podcast, where the, the deep connection, like the aha laughing moment came to me almost is Jesus gives this intentions overview of prayer and says, don't pray to have other people's eyes on you. When shame dominates us, when we pray, it's our eyes on us. It's not other people. It's like, still not the right we, eyes. Yeah, we are the audience mm. of our own prayer. We we are spending our time. Right? Am yeah. I, yeah. Am I good enough to be here? How does God feel about what I'm saying? All of those different elements. That space of like over self analysis. Like the first one makes other people the center of prayer. The second one makes us, us the, the center, center of prayer, prayer, and no person is supposed to be the center of prayer. It's just supposed to be a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. So, mm. so all of us have had conversations with people where we've gone away saying, they're pretty self-absorbed. Like, 
they really don't seem to notice anyone except themselves they might be talking to me but they're still like very much and if if you've never thought it about someone else other people have thought it about you <laughs> like that's a flag it reminds me of the brian regan bit the stand-up comedian where he talks about like i want I want to be one of the few people who's walked on the face of the moon so that I had like a Trump card that's <laughs> eternal. Like they could say, you know, like you're in the conversation, you know, I was like, you know, driving on the Autobahn in my really fast car. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I drove in a lunar rover on the moon. Um, yeah. You know, it's that Absolutely thing where just, you yeah. see people like one upping each other. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. you, 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 me. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, so we all have that capacity to us. Like we all need that validation. It's a part of being human, a wrestling of being human. So the show aspect makes other people the center. They're the focal point. They're the direction we're praying in. The shame piece, it turns it all internal. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis just brilliantly points that out in the screw tape letters passage. Yeah. That I read that. Yeah. If, 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 if Satan can get you not asking for forgiveness, but trying to feel forgiven, if he can get you not asking for for more patience, but trying to feel patient, like if it can internalize to that degree, it's not really a relationship at all at that point. It's all going on in here. You don't actually need God for any of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just do mindfulness meditation and yeah. be done. So so shame almost like the first one sends the direction like off to all sorts of different directions. All sorts of different people can be the target of that. Perhaps you've been in that room where you've been praying in a group and you're, you're very concerned about what one person thinks about you. Like there's, a, there's that person whose opinion most matters to you. Or maybe it's just general. I just want all of these people to be impressed by the spirituality or even just think I'm okay at it. Like so I think yeah. for some people it's not, it's not. Maybe not impressed, but at least not horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's ways that, and again, we'll, we'll unpack this with, with the fasting question. There's ways that it's pretty normal to feel like that, um, to be concerned. I'm doing this for the first time. How will people think about me yeah i think part of what we might take from what jesus says is is this should get to a point where that's no longer the agenda the first time as a kid that you ride a bike you wave your arms madly in the air and say mom dad i'm riding a bike as a 40 year old man if you still ride down the streets going look at me i'm riding a bike Um, (laughs) there's a there's a there's a probably an immaturity that you need to work on so so how do you work on that? So there's two errors that you just pointed yeah, yeah. out, which, and I, I love that you just sort of elevated and reemphasized this piece. One is like praying to get the praise of others. Uh-huh. The other one is overthinking on yourself. Yeah. Both are walls and barriers between the actual end of prayer, which is mm-hmm. like communion with the living God. Yeah, yeah. How, now I'm like thinking about, trying not to think about those things like oh, how man the eternal circle you know what i'm saying yeah like so how do i enter into prayer is there a spiritual practice is there a way of of shifting that so that i'm less self-consciously entering into prayer and i'm just enjoying the company of the one who loves me so so i i think the the first thing i would suggest is 
is just notice when you're trying to feel a specific emotion. Hmm. Yeah, emotions aren't always the best, uh, the, the, the best evidence that something's happening. And they're tied to all sorts of different things. They're tied to, like, did the sun come out? I, I remember going through, like, a period like that felt like spiritual, like a spiritual low point, almost like a spiritual depression. Yeah. And then I kind of noticed, you know, it's been raining a lot recently. Yeah. And then the sun came out. I'm like, everything's great. Like, it's <laughs> me and Jesus against the world. I'm like, ah, oh. like somewhere these things are correlated. That's this interesting. Is, this yeah. is the challenge of being deeply a physical creature. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, yeah. Our, our psychology is so affected by our bodies. There's this great you know? in, Instagram reel floating around of this like stay at home mom who's just like, I just feel really low at the moment. And the person's like, did you go outside today? No. Did you eat well today? No. Did you plan anything today? No. Did you talk to anyone today? No. And it goes through all this list of things. And it's like, oh, <laughs> do one of those things and you'll probably feel better about yeah. life. So yeah. so there's there's ways that our physicality affects that. Um, th- this is one that, that maybe has, you know, maybe it actually adds to some of that complexity, but it's so important. I think prayer is always supposed to come with a time of, oh God, what did you want to say? Um, now, I think for a lot of followers of Jesus, because we've been told Jesus lives inside you, that can turn a little bit into a an internalization as well. Mm-hmm. But actually listening for the voice of God who is distinct from us and outside of us, um, who delights in hearing us but longs to share what he has to share as well Mm. and creating space for that and being okay with being pretty imperfect in that um because because it's going to feel imperfect so this is the other question i have in this whole section both like all through chapter six so far Mm. um and it spills into even the text i'm covering this coming week but this whole section feels a little bit counterintuitive as an as a way of speaking which shame on me for questioning Jesus's mode of communication, but it feels like don't do this, do this, don't do this. It, that feels shame creating in one sense. Mm. I'm doing it wrong. It makes me self-conscious that there is a right way and mm. there is a wrong way, well, which he says explicitly. And I kind of agree with them, but he's trying to get past some of that surface mm. shame and like should and shouldn't like, I don't know if you ever heard the term, like don't should on me, mm-hmm. you know, He's shooting on us. Yeah. And, and in, in this whole section, how, wh- what's going on with that? What well, think? I think that, that, that's, there's always fascinating fine lines, isn't there, between telling someone something that they don't want to hear um, or that they actually need to hear and don't want to hear um, and how that makes us feel ashamed. So, so, the modern world can say something like, well, yeah, don't tell me I'm any, I'm doing anything wrong. That, that makes me ashamed. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't have any concerns about that. It seems like his, his language around shame is not, you should never feel bad about something you've done. It, It does seem that he, he wants us to not feel bad about who we are. So, so that, that, that really helpful Mm. distinction, shame, shame is I've done something wrong. So guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. Yeah. Uh, and and so I think so long as you hear Jesus' words and say, oh, Jesus is correcting my behavior while embracing me as a person, 
you'll probably end up in a in a healthy place if if the world has told you no one can critique you or offer any sort of instruction to you without you being ashamed of who you are yeah i think we live in a world where agreeableness or acceptance has been so tied to niceness yeah that if you're a nice person if you love me you'll embrace me and I, and I think I've even given this as an example before, maybe in a sermon, maybe here, but I've got a friend from back in, as a, when I was a kid that was still Facebook friends. And he's talked a, a lot about his gender dysphoria and his sense of like being in the wrong body and all those different things and how he identifies. And every time he says anything on Facebook now, he's got a long list of people who are like, just be you, babe. Like, yeah, absolutely. You're gorgeous. Like all these different things. I'm like, this guy's clearly miserable. Like he's, he's so not happy. You know, he's posting pictures of himself, like doing his Christmas tree with like Christmas porn in the background on the TV. Like the guy's clearly just not a happy human being. And yeah, what he's getting from everyone is, yeah, you, you're, you're landing in a good place. Like, this is great. Jesus has never been that person. Um, he seems very happy saying, this is no way to live. Don't live this way. Yeah. Um, but always with a, but come to me, you're welcome. Um, yeah, like the, yeah, absolutely. He, he has this ability to draw you in as a person and recognize some of the the sources of your brokenness uh -huh. yeah and embrace you nonetheless and then say hey how about let's go this way instead yeah so so with um, with the, the 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 ways that he points out other like the hypocrites language he uses for the first two sections yeah. of the intentions i think that's a message that's deeply needed in lots of areas I was recently reading, you know, we've we've had these whole conversations about narcissism in the church that, yeah. that 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 actually interestingly like I'm probably the person that needs to hear the Jesus language about pray for show more than the majority of people that sit in chairs every week. Yeah, cuz you actually because get I a chance to pray, yeah. Do it. Um and we've got a whole bunch of churches that we're now discovering were very successful on the outside and had deeply narcissistic people running them. Um, yeah. Brené Brown recently said she felt like narcissism in the church, especially, but in general, was a product of the fear of being ordinary. So mm. you had to you you had to do all these things and create these things and run over people to make the thing happen, because well, what if you were just an ordinary pastor? What if nobody needed to read your book? And what if nobody needed you to fly into conferences? And what if the local people were good enough? Interesting, yeah. And, and we see that in all sorts of realms. We see it in, like, you think how rarely local churches sing local songs written in the church. Because there's 12 guys that write songs for, like, half the church. Yeah. Like, it, it's, theoretically, it's, yeah, what if I'm just an ordinary pastor that yeah is asked to faithfully share what they feel god is saying in scripture to a community yeah and that yeah. it doesn't have to be more than that yeah um hmm. i think i think jesus 
Jesus in his attention sees sees the ability of narcissism to lead us in warmed, warped ways. And in his language, he's actually concerned for us that we're missing out. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's all the way through it. Like, don't There's you know you've received had. your reward in full? There is a real reward, although he doesn't say what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, all of his don't do this, do this is because he's like, there is a there's a goodness that you're missing out on if you don't step yeah. into the right way of behavior. So, so with with prayer as the specific week we are on this week, it's like, it seems his language is, don't you realize you're missing out on communion with your father? Yeah, there's this father who knows everything you need is excited to spend time uh-huh. with you yeah. and, enco- and encounter you in that way. And you're obsessing about what are other people thinking or what, how am I doing in this moment? Yeah. And meanwhile, this father is like, let's just, you know, let's, let's encounter each other. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, it's it, so, yeah. it just, yeah. It, 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 and I think the example I used on Sunday to, to, to show how ludicrous that can be a time was my small group of pastors in New York. Oh yeah, yeah. And this moment where <laughs> this guy's, you know, this guy has started this church with like him and his two kids and his wife. Yeah. And, and it's now grown to like, you know, hundreds of people. Like it's probably now 1200 people in the Northeast. Churches aren't usually that big in the Northeast at all. Like this, this is quanti- qualitatively like a mega church that, that you know, area. is really just like through his faithfulness and partnership with God and his risk taking has grown into this thing. And he's like asking a question about small group structure and stuff. And I am the hundred people that I passed. I'm like, oh, you know what you should do? (laughs) You should just go and have conversations with people, right? I'm like, he's like, yeah, what happens if you don't know the names of half your people once it gets done? Yeah. And, and, um, and then just this, this like almost like the, the feeling of the stiff arm as he's like, okay, thank you. Peter, what do you think? Um, because yeah. he knew where he needed to focus the attention. That's funny. Uh, to get where he wanted to go. And um, yeah, it was a humbling moment for me, even though they probably didn't realize I noticed it. Uh, yeah. But um, but but some of that is in play in Jesus, Jesus' conversation. Like, whose opinion do you really care about? Do you really care what a bunch of people in a church community think about your prayer? And do you really think care what you think about your prayer? Some of my best prayers have been my worst prayers. What do you <laughs> describe that? So some of the times where I've communicated most honor, honorable, honestly and vulnerably with my father have been times where I've just owned up to nonsense. Where I've just said, Jesus, I, I don't like myself as I am right now. Jesus, I feel like I'm a failure. Like, like it's not mm-hmm. ones where I've developed flowery language. Yeah. It's not prayers where I have looked at what I've said and thought, man, I'd love people to see a transcript of that. Yeah. I started by praising God for who he is, and then I boldly and faithfully declared the mystery of salvation in prayer <laughs> form, and then finished with a flourish. Yeah. Like, added personal touches, but, you know, I, it's never those prayers that I come away with feeling something transformative happened. Yeah. It's the ones where, as Jesus says, in a quiet space, I I am able to simply own up to 
who I am. And I, in a sermon a while back, I used this example of a, of a hospital chaplain in England who was making rounds and, and managed to have a conversation with a guy who had not been open to conversations. And he asked questions about faith and who this guy was. And he said, well, really, I, my job is just to have a relationship with Jesus as a pastor. And the guy looked at me and was like, well, how would you do that? And he said, well, you know, if Jesus was sat in that chair right now, what would you say? And the guy said, well, I think I'd tell him I've probably made a bit of a mess of my life. And the guy's like, well, anything else? He said, yeah, I don't think I've got long to live and I'm pretty scared. Um, and the guy says, well, anything else? He said, well, not right now. And he said, well, if you think of anything else, just think of Jesus sat in that chair and whatever you think you'd like to say, just tell him and, and then maybe say to him, have you got anything to say to me? And there's this beautiful conclusion to the story where the man says, he went back to the chaplain says, I went back to see him the next day and the, the room was empty and I thought maybe he got to go home and the nurse said, no, he died last night. And I went to walk out and she said, well, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I know that you were with him yesterday and we found him like he was lying with his legs were still on the bed, but he dragged the chair over next to the bed and he died with his arms around it. Huh. Like, like that's prayer, right? <laughs> that's yeah. like, you know, I think I've made a mess of my life and I'm pretty scared because I'm going to die soon. That's that vulnerability of prayer that we're talking yeah. about. Uh, that doesn't care what other people say about it um, and doesn't even really care what you would think about it. Yeah. It just, it, it's the... It's the raw... It's the unveiling of a heart before God. Yeah. Hmm. Um, that's beautiful. Well, I... I think if we're okay transitioning to the question, yeah, this there's multiple questions in here actually, but I think it's big enough that we could eat up the rest of our time with it. Yeah, is this the question where someone said we're great at the podcast and we should keep being yes. funny? So that was the first part of it. so the first part is comment. They like our twenty minutes of nonsense. Um, second part was uh, something I think we can answer pretty efficiently, which is uh, would you guys decide on the women in eldership decision? Uh, and or when are we finding that out? Mm. Yeah. So I, I think that that's a nice simple one because we aren't at a place where anything has been decided. It's an ongoing conversation. It's it's uh, and more than a conversation, a really serious process of saying how how God can we discern your will for a community? Yeah. How can we listen to what you have for us? Knowing that that's hard to do individually, even harder to do as a group of people. Yeah. So we actually use a, a process that helps me so much is it's called consolation and desolation. We listen for what God's voice is. And then when we believe we've heard it, we say, does, does that feel like it's leading us closer to Jesus mm. or pulling us away from him? Mm. And, and that gives this like, oh yeah, wow, this feels like it's leading us into the heart of God. Um, so yeah, so like the last update that was given to the congregation at large was that the elders were shifting into a study and prayer phase, yeah. and that's the phase they're in currently. Yeah, and we've seen, um, we've been we've read think, lots of scripture. We've had professors from the seminary who reflect the the two different views broadly. Um, they got to talk to us about how we do church as elders. Mm -hmm. even somewhat humorously saying, well, you know, this elder board looks a little bit different than an elder board in the first century would look like anyway. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's hard to really completely replicate the system that was in play there. The term pastor does not exist in scripture. Like my job title is not there. Um, so, yep. so there's all of those different things in play. The, the scriptures specifically talk about deacons. We don't have deacons. What do those things mean? Yep. Are all questions we're trying to address. So, uh, and my understanding is that sometime in the next month or so, we're going to try and do a little bit of update yeah. so that the rest of the congregation knows where they're at. Absolutely. Currently. Yeah, yeah. But now, you know, if you're red couch, theology listener, yeah. the, what they're going to say, pretty yes, much that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, but there was a second uh, section of this, and I think that this there's a lot of layers to this question. And then a prayer question for good measure. Do you think prayer to God actually changes anything? Question one, does God change the course of his plan uh, over prayer? Like, oh, Sue prayed, so now I'm going to change my mind about her getting a raise or is prayer primarily more an exercise for us to communicate with, to communicate with God mm. and really more for our benefit in our relationship with him than it is to change the future or to get really deep. Is it all preordained that God knew we were going to pray? And so, so he already had plans to change things before we ever prayed it. It starts to feel really dizzying looking forward to your response. You know, yeah. just, a conversation that's been happening since the beginning of time. <laughs> it is. We'll, and, but we're going to yeah, clear it up today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, so firstly, I, I think I would probably say, and I'd be intrigued to know if you agree with me when it comes to aspects like predestination and election and how time works for God versus us, there is such a thing as overthinking it. Um, like the, the, there's a, a capacity that we have to understand it, but theoretically the best understanding of what we have for what time might look like for God is Einstein's theory of relativity. That there is ways that time is not as linear as we think it is, that it's actually more bendable and changeable. Like, you know, broadly speaking, Einstein had a lot to write in terms of how like traveling at the speed of light, for example, might affect time and how it may change it even. Um, We don't know how God sees time, but it appears like he constructed it. And so isn't, isn't involved in it in the same way we are. So anytime we look at it and say, well, doesn't God know the future anyway? Well, if that's right, God doesn't have a future. He has an ever-present now. If he sees all time the same, if that's true. So, so when we say things like, doesn't God know the future? It really infers that he experiences all of those things like we experience them anyway. And yeah. then suggests that our experience is therefore nonsense. But no, our experience is our experience. It's no different, really, than looking at a fish tank and saying, well, because I don't live in the fish tank, those fish don't really experience the fish tank as it is. No, they do. They're in it. We're not in it. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a silly example in some ways, but just shows how silly it is to overthink those different aspects. Yeah. The best we can see is that God doesn't, have to be impacted by time the way we are we are 
it seems that even in creation, he has an understanding of how the cross might come into play and how his role in humanity might look as a redeemer. Those things seem present from the beginning. God seems to create with that in mind as well, which is baffling for us to understand. He does seem to ask us to live in time as human beings and to pray believing that how we pray matters. So when we look at Jesus, God eternal living in time, and Jesus prays as though time matters and as though his prayers matter for the future. Yeah. That his prayers in the present can heal the past and change the future. Yep. Yeah. I, th- this is the one of the complexities of this particular subject. And actually, it's just true of a lot of theological subjects is to account for all of the biblical data. You, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be compl- yeah. complex because... There's texts all throughout the Old Testament that talk about God repenting of one uh-huh. direction and going a different direction yeah. as a result of prayer. Yeah. And so um, if you want to just take that as it is, then absolutely there's evidence, biblical evidence, that Jesus, that God changes the direction of future based upon the prayer of his mm-hmm. people. Um, and then there's other texts that you might find in the New Testament, for example, and even in the Old, but... Um, that sounds like everything's predetermined. Mm-hmm. Everything's, you know, uh, yeah. written before the foundation of the world. It even uses that kind of language. And then you're like, but wait, how can both of those things be compatible? And the biblical account doesn't seem overly concerned with ironing out all of those issues. Otherwise there would be like an additional book that says, here's all of the issues ironed out for us. Yes. Um, rather, it seems like God's more interested in interacting with us um, in a multiplicity of ways to try and communicate his heart. to humanity. So here's where I think what I think is really useful though. There are all these different scriptures, as Aaron just said, that point to, how human actions impact this world and change even God's heart and and his actions. There's these others that suggest that time is predetermined, that the future is known. At no point that I can think of in scripture does anybody as a praxis, as a as a way, as a way of acting based on belief, sit down and say, yeah, it's all predetermined, doesn't matter. Yeah. At no point does that happen. Uh, everyone's there might actions. be an extreme Calvinist out there somewhere who has that attitude and they're an outlier. Yeah. yeah. And in scripture specifically, yeah. there's nobody who feels that living out the way of, of Yahweh in an old Testament world and living out the way of Yahweh in father, son and Holy spirit in a new Testament world involves just sitting down on the ground and saying, Meh, whatever will be, will be that just doesn't exist that the constant praxis is lived out as human action matters, whether it's prayer and how mm-hmm. it determines the future, whether it's uh, a specific action outside of prayer. None of the disciples said, you know what, we're just not going to preach to people because yeah, God wants to save them. They will. Calvinist theology got to that point in the 18th century. Mm-hmm. When William Carey wanted to found his India mission, he had people say to him, sit down. When God wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without you. 
Like, like we got there, but but people in the biblical world never got there. Their yeah. actions always mattered, and they always understood that God directed human actions for a reason. Um, yeah. So I think that that seems to give us the clue of not how we should understand time, because that is harder to 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 figure out, but it definitely gives us a clue as to how we should act. That we are given an example of Jesus praying and seeing healing. We're given an example of the first church praying and seeing healing. Seems like we're called to pray and see healing. Yep. Um, now, I, I think where I do think, where I do love the insight of this question is that it is also true that while changing things, prayer also changes you. Yes. I, I'd, I'd included this Soren Kierkegaard quote at one point, but I didn't actually uh, include it in the end. The function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. I agree with the second half of that statement. I don't think I agree with the first half of that statement. I think I would say the function of prayer is to influence God because he seems to ask for that influence, but especially, or at least, and also to change the heart of the one who prays. Yeah, absolutely. And that full disclosure, we get that that's complicated. Mm. And there's a reason why the issue of uh, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man has been a conversation in theological circles since forever. Yeah. Um, and there's a, and we don't have time to get into the nuances of libertarian free will, complementarian free will, <laughs> Molinism, <laughs> uh, open theism and stuff all in this particular episode. We don't. We have six minutes left. Can you not do a summary in six minutes? Uh, I love that. I love that. Like um, our hour has become, instead of like originally being like, absolutely don't cross this threshold whatever but you can only go 40 minutes that's fine to like if we don't get an hour in we're like yeah did we fail today <laughs> <laughs> we dropped the ball we yeah uh i don't know do we want to do a summary of all of those frameworks mm. briefly no no i don't, I don't think, think so but the point is there's multiple frameworks out there that that attempt and i think they're beneficial mm -hmm. i think it'd be worthwhile studying them because it might give you enough, like choosing a framework of dealing with the free will of man and the sovereignty of God um, might give you enough peace to like set the issue down and actually talk to God. Mm. Um, but if, but it, I'm pretty confident that you're not going to find one of those frameworks that like ties everything up with a bow and makes no. it super duper easy Absolutely, to understand. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that maybe that's appropriate for interacting with uh, an infinite God mm. who uh, created everything and cannot be understood. And so Fre Frederick, <laughs> Be Frederick Beekner gives a beautiful picture of this. He describes prayer as beating a pathway to God's front door. And he almost pictures clearing away these thorns and like working through these personal issues to pound on the door. And sometimes in the midst of that, God gives us what we think we want. Sometimes the child is healed. Sometimes the new job arrives. Sometimes the check appears out of nowhere. And sometimes it doesn't. But he always gives us the thing we really need, which is, him, is himself. Yeah. Um, Anne Lamott, I nearly had this quote from Anne Lamott in the sermon. Prayer is a, help is a prayer that he's always answered. It doesn't matter how you pray with your head bowed in silence 
or crying out in grief or dancing. Churches are good for prayer, but so are garages and cars and mountains and showers and dance floors. Years ago, I wrote an essay that began, Some people think that God is in the details, but I have come to believe that God is in the bathroom. <laughs> it's just like a <laughs> That's quirky little way of saying the heartbeat of prayer is vulnerability. Standing in relationship to God, not focused on others and not focused on yourself, but on him. And that experience is life-changing always. That's awesome. Well, yeah, hopefully that at least scratched the surface of an answer. I felt like we just said that's too big to tackle. But I think we did a good job. A little bit of both. All right. So if not, then please write in another question again and say, you guys drop the ball. And I would like you to deal with all, all of the variables <laughs> and then solve it for one, once and for all. And then we will uh, still fail you. I um, love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you like this show and so forth, uh, then so we would, forth? Is that a word? I don't know. I'm trying to be a marketing f- person right now and i'm so bad at it this is why i'm not an entrepreneur i just don't if care if you like this show and so forth could you show forth this show to others wow yeah share it find your podcast service follow it on there uh comment on the on the youtubes and uh the other yeah or alternatively listen in silence can you do all the things that you're supposed to, that a podcaster is supposed to say to do that thanks bye <laughs>